Folks, I'm John Miller, and once again, this is Everybody Trades. And you know what? It's been a little quiet around here as far as trading goes. I was thinking about that today, sitting around in my office on this President's Day, or as I like to call it, Ski Vacation Day. Yeah, there's no ch- stocks to be traded today. We've got a nice off day, but you know what? What better time to take some stock, if you will, no pun intended. So, of course, if you haven't noticed, I haven't been trading very much lately. In fact, I'm not sure I've made a trade yet in 2019, which is highly unusual for me. Now, I'm not the most active guy in the world. I'm not a day trader, much more of an investing type. But for me to go almost two months without making a move, that's almost unheard of. So what am I thinking Am I not thinking at all? Have I gotten soft and complacent? No, not at all. Because believe me, I'm as into this market as I've ever been, as into economic analysis as I've ever been. There's actually a couple reasons. Number one, we had, obviously, unless you've been hiding under a giant stack of Wall Street journals, you should be well aware that we had a big stock correction, one could call it, in the latter bit of 2018, particularly particularly in December. And you know what? During that period, I just did a lot of sitting and watching. And not only that, I did a lot of telling you all in this audience to not panic, to hang in there. I A lot of what I was getting at is, is this 2008 all over again? Is this a massive, massive generational type stock correction that we should be fearing? And I consistently said, no, that isn't what this is. Based on valuations, based on levels of corporate debt compared to 2008 versus now, I said, no. And in fact, you shouldn't panic, and really you should stay the course. And now here we are in mid-February, and i got to be honest, I'm pretty proud of that advice. Uh, that's, that's about as good a call as I've made in my entire career. And just as far as an overall market call, not so much an individual stock call, And I stand by it. Now, the deal is, we aren't just completely out of the woods yet either. And what tells us this, the idea that we're still, after all this time, after 10 years, more than 10 years, of supposedly being out of the woods, we we solved the world's financial problems in 2008, right? We had some reckless bankers that almost drove us off the ravine, but... By golly, the stewards at the Federal Reserve and at the Treasury Department kept us back on, got us back on the road, right? That's what we've been told for the last 10 years. But there's a certain reality that belies what they're, what they're saying there, their own confidence in their own game. And that's this. We still have historically incredibly low interest rates. And what that tells you is, and again, This big correction toward the end of 2018 was quite clearly triggered by the idea that the Federal Reserve was going to raise interest rates multiple times in 2019. That's really, when you get down to it, I often complain about how we take, we're too certain in our analysis of the overall stock market in terms of, hey, here's why it went up or here's why it went down. It's often very difficult to determine a direct cause of why the market does what it does. But in this case, 
I think it's really quite obvious to say that, yes, it was all about the Federal Reserve in this case. So if we're on such strong financial footing, why is it that after all of this time that even a slight, ever so slight suggestion, well, not just a slight suggestion, but a suggestion that ever so slight increases in interest rates, the amount of money, the amount of interest you're frankly getting on your deposits at the bank, we can't handle that. You see, if we're still at that point, that does show that we're on shaky ground, especially in terms of the stock market. In terms of if you want a bullish stock market, yeah, this is a bubble that is very easily poppable. It's something that you should always keep an eye on. And what you should keep an eye on specifically is obviously not only the Fed, number one. Yeah, you should obviously be aware. Anytime, the next time the Fed says, uh, we're, we're getting a little more hawkish as far as raising rates, yeah, that might be time. That may be a signal to start selling some stocks for sure. Moreover, we've been hearing more and more about trade deals and potential for, hey, it seems like China and the U.S. are going to get together and make a trade deal, which would obviously be good not only for the stock market, but just in general. As much trade as goes on around the world between willing participants is obviously a good thing in this humble podcaster's opinion. But it's also not altogether clear that we're going to have a deal either. I've seen a lot of optimism, and it seems like China is in a position where they do need to take a deal at a certain point. So all of that's optimistic, but, you know, there's a lot of time for new headlines, new leaks, new pieces of information to come about in the media that will certainly have the potential to move the market lower. And if you're like me, if you like to buy low and you like to sell high, and you like to really do it, not just in theory, because it's always harder to do it in reality, right? If you were in December, it was hard to catch that falling knife. It really was. And I never recommend catching a falling knife. Because guess what? You grab it too fast and your hand gets cut, right? That's the analogy. But I did have to pick away at Canopy Growth Company, my marijuana position, and take two interactive, among some other things. But I just felt like I wasn't so certain in the outcome that I needed to double down on all my positions. But what I didn't do, most importantly, is I didn't panic out of my positions. That was the real key. You see, a lesser man would have definitely panicked in December and just sold everything that he owned. And by a lesser man, I mean me like eight or nine years ago. Because <laughs> for real, I, didn't, I don't think I had the wisdom to take that much pain at that time. And you know what, isn't that, that actually brings me to a slight digression here. One of my favorite sayings about equality is that, you know what, a man like myself, I'm not even equal to myself, depending on the day. Like tomorrow, I could just be hungover, I could be sick, I could be a million different things. I could just be in a bad mood, or I could be, I don't know possibly injured at some point and be less. But beyond that, beyond the physical, literal definition of equality, I can literally be the same person, have all my same faculties and not be sick or anything like that. But for whatever reason, just based on my own brain chemistry, our moods change frequently. And so 
this idea of equality is really, really tough when we're not even equal to ourselves, depending on the day or the moment, right? But anyway, back to the market really quickly. Long story short, since we've had such a run here, I wouldn't exactly recommend that anybody go out and buy a bunch of stock tomorrow. In fact, I'm looking to sell. I'm looking to sell something anyway. Now, part of the reason, again, I I veered a little bit from where I started at the beginning here, which was, why am I not trading so much? Well, part of it was because I was being patient and trying to let the market settle out and go where it, where it needed to go. I wasn't so confident that I wanted to double down and spend all my cash and to take on more risk. I felt like I already had enough risk. But at the same time, it would have been the market was already too low to sell. Like if I would have sold a bunch of stock in September, you see that was the move when we'd already had a nice bull run. Okay? So even though I like where I'm positioned, history tells me no clear no clearer lesson than when you have a spike up like this, you need to look for something to sell. So indeed, I am going to look for something to sell very soon. And if you want to know what exactly I've sold, well, you can follow me at everybodytrades.com. Now, the second reason I haven't been trading much lately is just personal. I've been trying to was trying to migrate my account to a different broker in order to lower my transaction fees significantly. But unfortunately, this particular broker, which will remain nameless, was rather bureaucratically set up to the point where I was frustrated beyond belief with their attempts, or I would say lack of attempts, to migrate my account. So I just said, screw it. I'm done. I'm staying with my current broker. The hell with you guys. So I couldn't take it anymore. And the only reason I'm actually sharing that particular story is that I've been questioning my own methods as far as actually really sharing every single trade that I make and in real time and also sharing my open positions and stocks. And the reason for that is not because I'm worried about my own reputation or anything like that. I, I'm proud of what I do and I, I'm proud to play with an open hand. But what I what I worry about is that, of course, again, getting back to equality, if I'm not equal to myself on any given day, well, then you all are certainly not equal to me. And when I say equal, I'm not putting you below me. I'm just making a very literal statement. And of course, if you're not literally me, then your circumstances are different as well. Your financial circumstances, more importantly, you might be far richer than I am. You might be destitute and poor. Although if you're listening to this podcast, I kind of doubt it, to be honest. But the point is, my circumstances and the reasons that I have a larger cash position than most professionals would recommend is unique to my personal situation. And so therefore, I just would worry about people completely following me trade for trade and not having the right context for their own situation. And so I guess I'm going to, I'll ask you the listeners, do you think I should keep doing this or should I maybe just keep the trades a little closer to the vest? Maybe Maybe on the site, we just keep it to the closed positions and not the open positions so as not to have people recklessly throw their money around and possibly sue me. How about that? 
just a little food for thought. But anyway, that's enough about the stock market for now. I actually want to expand just a little bit on my discussion about the Green New Deal from last week. And particularly, particularly boy, I am struggling with that word today. Particularly the idea that the new Green Deal was going to outlaw air travel in 10 years. Well, you'll notice that in the subsequent days following that, there were a bunch of people that said, oh, that was just a draft. We're not, we're not outlawing plane production. We're not outlawing air travel. That's crazy talk. Well, okay. You'll also notice that I didn't actually fall completely for that particular line of thinking. You see, where I was focusing was on what I would call and what many economists have called the crowding out effect. See, while the idea of, see, say, the next president or the president in a dozen or 20 years is going to give up Air Force One, for instance, or that the rich people of America are going to give up their Cessnas and their private jets and all that sort of thing, I always found that idea to be absurd. You see, I imagine that Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi like flying around in planes, and I imagine that the future Congress people and future presidents of America, they also like flying around, particularly on our dime. So, you know what? I was never buying this idea that air travel is going to be kaput in a decade. However, what I did focus on was the idea that flying will get increasingly more costly to the point where only the richest among us will be able to afford it. Now, that is... That is very easy to see and easy to believe. And if you don't believe me, well, just look at what we've done on the ground, much less the air. Why, if you don't like gentrification, you must really not like San Francisco. Because in San Francisco, in the most expensive parts of Silicon Valley in that area, in the Bay Area, a frickin' mop closet will get rented for $3,000 a month. It's insanity. The prices are completely out of control, and all it has done, all these various housing laws, zoning laws, various different practices, all they've done is crowded people out of that neighborhood, of the most expensive neighborhoods in the country that used to be not the most rich neighborhoods in the world. See, all these people have been crowded out. They can no longer afford to live in areas that they used to be able to. Now, obviously, the people who are homeowners who sold their house for a, a nice profit, good for them. But now, anybody new who wants to come in there and move to San Francisco, good luck. Good luck moving to San Francisco in 2019 unless you're related to the Monopoly man. It's ridiculous. Normal people can't just up and move there and try to make a go of it in San Francisco anymore. You just can't do it. And L.A., New York, Chicago aren't too far behind. We just hear a lot more about San Francisco in the news. But those places are and have been incredibly expensive and unnecessarily so for years. Now, if you want to see gentrification in the air, all you have to do is give people more and more and more power to regulate airlines, to regulate 
and to increase costs on jet fuel, on everything. Because that's the whole idea, isn't it? It's the idea that, well, we're all going to die based on, we're all going to cook, basically, to use their own words, because of what? Carbon emissions? Because of essentially fossil fuels, is what they're saying. But again, we're not going to have a world, and they, they admit this, the Green New Deal people admit this, in their backtracking, by the way, when they say, hey, we weren't saying we're going to get rid of it. We're just saying it's going to cost way, 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 way more. That's what they're saying. So there's going to be gentrification in the air. If you didn't like gentrification on the ground, you're probably not going to like it in the air either. So unless you're Elon Musk's kids, get used to driving. Get used to road trips. Because if the Green New Deal people have their way... Yeah, they're not going to outlaw planes. Al Gore will still have his plane. But you, hmm, Southwest Airlines, I'm not sure they're still going to be in business. Because part of their business model is keeping costs low for their customers. Their customer base is not Al Gore. It's not the NBA teams. It's not, it's not the, the uber wealthy. Let's put it that way. You see, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and people who defend the Green New Deal will say that, oh, well, they don't like this plan. They think it's too radical. Well, they don't have any idea for it. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said the market hasn't done anything for 40 years to solve this supposed problem. Well, here's what I'll say. If I accept your premise and say that, yes, fossil fuels are going to kill us all unless we do something about it, unless we dramatically decrease those particular emissions if i accept that we're still going to have to figure out a way to distribute what we need because we're not going to a world that has no energy production that has no travel and we're not even going to a world that has no meat production like cory booker apparently wants to go to see cory's been a vegan for about four and a half years now, so he considers himself a hero, apparently. And, and therefore, he, in his grand hero abilities, he wants to coerce all of us into not eating meat, I guess. Well, his idea is, well, there's just not enough land for the rest of the world to keep up with the kind of meat production that goes on in America. So again, we're going to have the crowding out effect here again. If we let... People like Cory Booker keep raising the prices of everything, then guess what? People on the bottom are going to get crowded out. You're going to get crowded out of your apartment in San Francisco. You're going to get crowded out of your plane seat on Southwest Airlines. And eventually, you'll get crowded out of your steak, too. If it costs $58 for a T bone, yeah, they haven't illegalized the T bone, have they? But based on non-market forces, based on government coercion, if they make a T-bone steak $50 or $5,500, then not very many people are going to eat a steak, are they? And along that same level of thinking, if there's an $8 per gallon tax on gasoline in order to fight global warming, well, again, we haven't illegalized the car, but we have crowded a lot of people out who previously could drive. So we'll have gentrification on the road as well. So again, if you're against gentrification, be really careful about all of these different cost-raising 
initiatives put forth in the Green New Deal and various other types of legislation and bureaucracy. All right. Thanks for joining me on the Everybody Trades podcast. I will see you all next time. Happy President's Day. Get out there and do some skiing, will you?